In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit SIFT.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. And we're live. Jimmy, it is great to have you back on the show, my man. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I'm excited, Bradley. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm joined by um, yeah, <laughs> awesome co-founders, uh, uh, Tommy. Uh, CEO co-founder and Benza, a CEO co-founder. So uh, excited to three of us to join you. Yeah, I was going to say the whole team, but we just, you're our first repeat guest. So I, I had to give you a shout out. You're the first one. So congratulations, or I'm sorry. I don't know which one of those is in order, but whatever it is, uh, I'm sending them your way. So the team from Sion is here because they have just closed an insane, insane funding round, and we are so pumped for them and so excited. Really a milestone, not just in the history of the company, but also in the history of the industry as we're moving towards newer ways and methods and a more holistic approach to fraud prevention. I think seeing this funding round is really showing how the not just our industry, but really the VC ecosystem as a whole has bought into the idea of what we do in this community. And so that's all I'll say. I don't want to, I don't want to take your guys thunder. Please tell us about the funding rounds, everything you're willing to share. Of course. Yeah. But first of all, I think uh, we're also uh, stoked, you know, about the milestone we could unlock for now. And, and it was really the great work of the whole team. So we've put an extra mile over the last two and three years, you know, in, in, in making a fraud-free world. So essentially what we have seen is high level of interest for this funding round following our Series A, just uh, which we have closed a year ago. We are fortunate to be oversubscribed uh, by the investor's interest. What we have seen is given our very healthy unit economics, the growth of our customer base and as well as the different key indicators which uh, would lead to understand that you know the product is, is very sticky. Our, our, our mission is really to educate all fraud in the world for any online business and we would like to become the go-to fraud prevention tool in five years time for any online business. We are really driven by our inbound growth so we don't actually do much of the typical enterprise type of sales. What we believe in is the bottom-up approach to try to convince the end users, the hardworking fraud managers and fraud analysts um, by a very easy to use, easy to integrate product and as well as with a very appealing pricing model. So our go-to market strategy is really different to let's say what we have seen in the industry. And when we have actually started the whole project about four and a half years ago, we actually had a problem ourselves with fraud. So maybe Ben, so you can chip in with it. Sure. 
why we have faced the issue or stuff and what we have decided upon when we started. Sure, I can elaborate on the why behind our company. So Tamas and myself, we were good university friends a couple of years back. And we were actually, like you said, we were building a crypto exchange and we felt fraud on our own skin after starting to accept credit card payments. So people were checking out with stolen credentials, stolen identities, and it was a massive issue. We looked at the fraud space and everybody was aiming for enterprise, the enterprise sales model. So discovery and sales calls, it was pretty hefty discussions and, and costly solutions out there and lengthy integration. So we said, let's build something in-house because clearly we're not the ideal customer profile for these solution providers out there. We built our own tool and then here we are a couple of years later where we completely pivoted towards developing this full-on fraud prevention suite. And our mission is to democratize fraud fighting and to, to be the number one fraud provider out there for as many merchants and operators that you can possibly imagine because everybody that does some form of online business is affected by fraud. So pretty much what we want to achieve is make our solution as easily accessible to as many fraud and risk managers out there in the simplest form possible. Just like you would consume Netflix or Spotify as an everyday consumer, we want to replicate that buyer journey. And you know, there's successful software as a service companies out there who have adopted this model. Say, if you look at Stripe, which a lot of our, our own customers, funnily enough, compare our, our go-to-market model to. So yeah, we truly believe in, in doubling down in this motion and, uh, and making fraud prevention accessible to the masses. Just double-clicking on Benza's, uh, Bradley, uh, point there. So there was an absolute acknowledgement, and that's my background as well, right, is from those early stage risk tech companies that had done well and were acquired by the likes of Visa, Amex, or Ingenical, for instance. And there was acknowledgement that fraud detection isn't new. Like fighting fraud is not new. It's been around ever since e-com started, you know, two decades ago. And the reality was, is there's excellent solutions out there, but not anything that can be up and running in uh, minutes, if not days. It was more like weeks, if not months. And by that time, for you know, Tamash and Benza, their burgeoning crypto exchange would have burnt to the ground. So I think what the latest round kind of signified is essentially that there's a massive need for almost one click state-of-the-art kind of tech that can be easily adopted in 30 minutes or less. And, and that's kind of what we're obsessed with trying to build out is that motion, um, which I think is like a good thing for hopefully the safety of the growth of online commerce in, in general. So that's why you probably see quite a notable segment Series B raised from us. I think it is the largest uh, in our segment for a Series B uh, there, but it reflects the mega mission we have as a team to try and solve. And we're just at the beginning of it. Well, you guys are very humble because I'm still waiting for you to say the number. Yeah, it was uh, a 94 million USD raise for Series B. And it might be worth just reflecting. So our Series A, we raised just one year ago and we were led by, we were very excited to work with Creandum. Um, so one of the very kind of top performing VCs out of Europe, they backed Spotify and Klarna and we were seen as their next big bet. And that was only a year ago. And our A was actually, um, I would say, fairly modest. It was a Series A of 12 million USD. And it reflected uh, most of our team. We originate out of uh, Budapest, Hungary, 
where Tamash and Benz are sitting at right now. Um, and that's where 95% of our team are. Um, so the things like the, the OPEX was very well controlled. We're a product company, so it's mostly engineers. But then our B was the opposite. It was um, enough unit economics were moving at such an accelerated pace that uh, we, we uh, saw the opportunity essentially to use capital to help build and release more um, kind of useful features to our customer base. So there are two angles that I want to go with on this story. We'll start on the VC side. I'm interested to hear when you were going through these conversations, how much of the conversation was surrounding the idea that this is a fairly crowded space with a lot of quality enterprise companies, SMB service providers also as well already in it. And so I'm wondering when you were having these conversations, if you were talking to them more about the space and they were just interested in the idea that the fraud space is such a huge TAM that there's room for a lot of different people, total addressable market. Sorry for those of you that may not know the the VC uh, lingo. And then I'm also curious though, if what you just said about really a one stop, one click kind of solution was really what pushed it over the top to be such a large funding round, because you're right, we usually hear about onboarding periods that goes on with these software because they're huge AI machines. They, they bring in a lot of data, consume a lot of data. So uh, take me through those conversations and what they were like and, and how you were addressing each of those points and the types of questions that you were getting from investors as you were going about raising the round. Yeah, I think to answer your first question about the concepts from the investor side, we haven't seen such a big concern from there and actually. So we could explain very well how we are a product-led company and how we fuel product-led growth. So as discussed, yeah, uh, our, our GTM was totally different from other players in the market are embracing. So this is one thing. And the other thing is actually the product itself. So we are really, really big on data enrichment because as a company, you can make only as good decisions as the data you have access to. So we have companies to have much more useful data about their customers, which can help them to make better decisions. So we try to discover someone's full digital footprint uh, across the internet, use technologies such as uh, proxy detection, uh, we uh, do device fingerprinting, as well as looking at digital profiles for customers, building out a very in-depth picture of whether there could be someone registering just for the purpose of committing a financial crime on the customer side, or are they a legit person and do they have normal persons' uh, digital footprint across the different profiles we check? So, you know, GTM product is really different from those different uh, players in the market. And as well as when we look at the pricing itself, we try to be very straightforward, very transparent. It's even on our website, we, we don't have any hidden fees, we don't have in advance fees. We have a very great customer success team and we don't charge for their work. So they do really proactive work. They have the client to push through the integration and everything very quickly. So uh, they're actually ask for managers who uh, being on the battlefield already and, and know how to solve the problems from, from the client's side. So we're very, very keen to continue building up this team and as well as launching new products. So we have a couple of ideas about moving into such as the KYB space. So uh, spending time with our clients, which we always do, the whole product was driven by customer feedback. And this is very important for us to have a high NPS score from, from that end. So 
We are about to launch a so-called company module, which would check a company's digital footprint. We would check, of course, the uh, registries from government databases, but as well as looking into their LinkedIn profile, Facebook profile, looking into their source code about what technology steps they are using. Is there any overlap with another business? So even merchant fraud uh, is, is, a, is a growing issue. So it's very hard to verify a business online. And uh, what we try to do is create a very simple API and module to solve this problem. On the input side, we would take only a company URL, a company name, and the output side, it would be a fraud score, essentially, and all the different data we have found across the internet about this business. So we could reduce those uh, fake businesses to open up accounts and, and you know process payments or do illicit things such as not money. Another thing on this end, also launching uh, anti-money laundering components to our existing tool set. So we would like to start screening politically exposed uh, persons. We would like to screen also people on sanctions lists. So money laundering is, is, is a growing issue. And even in the current geopolitical climate, uh, we see that this is a need from new and existing uh, potential clients. So this is something we are going to launch in the next couple of months. So um, these two big items are one of the four we have planned. And one more to mention is maybe starting to calculate things around more of the customer lifetime value of, of the clients or for customers. So not only pinpointing those bad actors, but also helping the client to understand if one of the clients could be a, a lucrative business opportunity for them based on the data we have already in place today. So uh, yeah, big ideas. And for this reason, we have to hire all of these great talents and, and engineers you know, to build up uh, the new technology components of our whole platform, which we also call the fraud operation system. And um, it's not the reason we exist, Bradley, but um, also to give some color to um, almost invest investment theses in some of those kind of discussions as we were uh, looking for a B partner. And we were fortunate to be um, similar to our GTM. It's mainly inbound. So that's where the vast majority of our revenue comes, um, is people landing on Salem.io and hitting the get a demo call to action to see our product live. So no discovery call, no decks. <laughs> no no things where someone's frustrated when they're in that moment of pain they want to see an answer to that problem but in a similar way we were fortunate to treat um, our fundraising for a and our b in exactly that way but some of the thesis is back to your point around other risk tech you know great companies out there generally speaking the way that we kind of got that vc saw the total addressable was almost uh companies doing well but not necessarily being anything like a, um, a 10 bill val company or a 100 bill val company. And that was down to the kind of thesis that in fraud fighting and fraud detection, different companies, because they're servicing tier one, it's a bit of a, a cycle. And I don't know if it's a virtuous cycle, it'd be the opposite, I think, <laughs> where they become so good at nailing an industry that they kind of adapt the product roadmap to be brilliant at it. But because of that, then they're product is so specialized for that particular vertical and it becomes uh, the opposite of a virtuous circle but like that sort of thing whereas we've been like Tamash and Benza like particularly been so strong and vocal on trying to build instead we're SaaS first of all so not available on-prem we're SaaS and so it's instantly deployable but an industry agnostic kind of framework is the way to think of us so we're our customers are 
everywhere from a crypto exchange, which is our humble beginnings, to online gaming companies, some of the best in the world, to like 3.0 businesses like So Rare, which are dealing with NFTs and scaling like crazy, to things like PSPs, like awesome, like Molly, for instance, or airlines like KLM. They're totally different spaces. And I think we've been obsessed with trying to build industry agnostic tech that could literally work across all those different use cases. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're a neobank or if you're, a, um, if you're an airline. It should be adaptable and customizable from a SaaS point of view. So because of that, I think a lot of the investment thesis is around us, where we align more to not our competitors in space, but more to, I think Benza mentioned it earlier, our customers kind of increasingly call us almost like more like a stripe of fraud prevention. And that's very similar. I mean, I think we all know like uh, public markets are obviously getting hammered at the moment, but I think they're rumored for their IPO to be a kind of a hundred billion uh, kind of IPO kind of valve. That's because their TAM is very horizontal and they're not vertical, just like say on. We're looking at essentially any online commerce that needs protected. And that's why, yeah, for us, it's, it's very important that... Um, yeah, we kind of build horizontally, which is which reflects, I think, it's, it's things like investment thesis. So that's a great segue too. I want to move towards the merchant side here, and I I have a question, a bit of I'm going to turn it back on you a little bit here, and ask why after so many years and so many good great companies, are you still able to convert people so quickly? to needing fraud prevention. What are people coming to you and saying, yeah, this is still not working for me. And why as a merchant should I be turning towards something that is taking this kind of broader view of the problem as opposed to a more vertical specific? Because I could see from a merchant standpoint, people saying, well, if I'm in X vertical, I, I want someone that specializes in X vertical. What is the benefit that you're seeing from having that full view of the problem? Maybe just from a general bigger picture to the first part of your question, you know, fraud is an ever growing issue. So it's like it's more painful today than it has ever been before for the general online business as a as an industry or as a segment. You know, my, I say this a lot in like podcasts and everything. My grandmother is buying her groceries online all of a sudden because of COVID. So all of a sudden you're seeing even larger number of consumers being involved in the world of online commerce and exchange of goods and services. And not necessarily everybody knows where they should be submitting their details and where they shouldn't be submitting their details. So there's a lot of vulnerable people out there. And in the meantime... There's a lot of smart fraudsters out there who have an easier time to exchange ideas than ever before with the rise of the Tor network, with the rise of VPN usage, with the rise of cryptocurrencies, which allows them to exchange goods and services or, or at least pay for, for the exchange of them. So, I mean, if you look at it from a really big picture perspective, like today is... It's the, it's the largest amount of fraud than ever before, and it's the easiest time for fraudsters than ever, ever before. And I, I think that's just the landscape itself. But then looking at our, our products and uh, what we offer, maybe, Jimmy, you want to you wanna elaborate from a go-to-market perspective why we're being approached 
and why we're the go-to solution for and why we're able to close clients like Revolut, like Molly, like Nubank, for example. Yeah, um, it's a theme like I think we're very cognizant of. First of all, I think the way the buyer process has changed in terms of B2B has shifted over time. And I think Tommy and Benza as co-founders represent that exact shift, right? We as a startup, we use lots of SaaS products. We use lots of tech as well. And we just can't believe a world where a top-down uh, cold intro to Tamash, for instance, would result in actually the way we buy it. It has to come down from the ops team. So bottom up, they've got the pain point. They're closest to the action. And they're the ones doing their own research and self-selecting, reading peer reviews. You know, you don't have to go to some gated publication to read a review. You don't have to pay your membership dues. You can Google the heck out of all this. So the buyer process has fundamentally changed for B2B. And I think that's what's brilliant is Tamash and Benza leading as mid-20s represent that new chain of buying process, which from my end as well, I also see it as B2B is B2C. <laughs> and the best companies in tech and SaaS understand this weirdly. So all of us individually buy probably Spotify or we're Netflix customers. And that high experience level, we're all conditioned to it now. We can't fathom a world where you turn on your B2B hat, right? Wherever tech company you work for. And then all of a sudden you're accepting of a clunky, like really frictionful process where somebody won't show you freaking product, where someone won't even tell you pricing on stuff until like the third call. That's just unacceptable nowadays. So um, I think for us, and um, we also represent in our segment, like very quick to adopt the best lessons of the best SaaS companies in the world. And that's what, you know, like going back into kind of the partner we chose, IBP. Um, so one of Silicon Valley's top performing kind of VCs, they are literally the backer. If you look at who they back, the best product-led companies in the world that we know and love, all of us. Um, so, you know, backers of Netflix, backers of uh, Klarna, backers of um, Dropbox, um, backers of GitHub, Slack, these, Twitter. These are all the tools we all all know and love. And, and that's why we chose them because more than anyone in the world, they're used to finding tech that is universally um, like loved by their, their users. And that's what we're trying to obsess over is this kind of high expectation of B2C experience to the B2B process which is why I think when we think about theories, why um, you know, we're, we're trying to optimize for that for our new customers as well as our existing customers, of course. So take me through a little bit how you guys are providing that experience because I think what you're saying is really, really on point. And I'm definitely a big believer in the idea that marketing at any type or, or level should be straightforward to the point. You're trying to minimize, like you said, the friction, just like you would for a B2C product the same way with B2B. So take us through for the merchants out there listening, what you guys do differently, how you approach that problem and what people get out of working with you that provides them this lightning fast experience. What are you doing differently than some of the other solution providers out there? Yeah, so a couple of like thoughts come to mind straight away. Um, of course, we are APIs and they're microservices, and but they're publicly available to look at. So you can land on our domain, Salem.io, and if you hover under developers, you'll see uh, our API references fully exposed. So nothing's hidden. Our full JSON is there for everyone to see. You can run it in Postman. 
and we're increasingly dev discovered. That's one thing. And so this is all kind of like you can see the goods before you even interact with us. Uh, and we want that. And then and maybe Tommy, you can talk about try for free as well. Yeah, essentially what we try to achieve is the quickest way to prove our return of investment for our new clients, potential clients. So with the SAF server motion in place, a developer and end user can just sign up for a product, start a trial, disconnect every feature of the product. We have implemented very useful product bumpers to guide our new clients to get to the aha moment as quick as possible. And essentially this way, uh, with, which is also complemented with um, very, very transparent public facing docs, not only for the API, but also high level information and articles and every other post that helps them to understand like, okay, what is fraud? What do you have to do as a team? How the product works? How do we integrate the product? How do we get the maximum out of the product? This is all covering the, the complete customer journey. And when they're in the product, uh, these bumpers can also help them to discover every feature, invite their teammates, you know, um, set permission levels, look at the review process, look at setting up new rules in the system, testing out existing rules, use the machine learning component. And every time they have an option to also schedule a call with the customer success team. So this way, we don't have to you know, exchange slow emails or wait for a third party to look into something. Everything is there in the product. And then this way, they can get a feeling of, okay, how quickly they can solve their issue. And if they have an issue which is very, very urgent, then they can solve it in a couple of hours just by integrating the API, turning it on, and uh, using it as a firewall for blocking these customers in their system. Awesome. I love it. it. It is. It's a really, really interesting angle that we've never talked about on this program before, but it is true that when you're looking at in onboarding these types of solutions, it's almost kind of even assumed, I think, that it's going to be painful. So I'm sure just people are, are surprised, delighted that when they get there, it's not. And I could see. So that takes me towards a discussion of how given how complex fraud is, but given how it's also been evolving, how do you guys see this kind of, I don't know if zero touch is the right way to put it, but we'll call it very low touch kind of sales process. How are you seeing that that's going to mesh moving forward with all of the new forms of variants, all the new products that you were running through? And as we all know in the industry and merchants out there who are following what's going on, this is a very dynamic time. We, we've referenced many times on this podcast how in the past, fraud prevention essentially just was a synonym for chargebacks. And now this is really no longer the case where it's really the line almost between even like cybersecurity writ large and fraud prevention is becoming increasingly blurred. So when you're talking about taking this no-touch, low-touch model for getting people to the aha moment... How are you squaring that circle with the increasing complexities that solution providers are forced to handle that are expected of them by merchants that are onboarded? I think some of it is also about demystifying fraud prevention in itself. Like, you know, a lot of companies actually, especially if you're selling enterprise, their go-to motion is, or let's say their unique selling proposition is like, we have the 
this 10 years worth of blacklisted data points. And we have the most amazing machine learning model built on top of that. And you don't necessarily understand, you know, what's beneath the hood. You just get a black box decision made and it pretty much results in declining or approving your customers. Meanwhile, in our case with Tamash, we always thought about making our product as transparent as possible, especially the decision-making process of the product. So fraud managers always understand why we approve or review or decline somebody. That's one aspect of it. So making it as easily understandable as possible of how it works and what the mechanism is. And it's actually very similar. So we're not like what we're selling is not rocket science. You send us an email address and we reach out to a bunch of sources and we give you a full picture of what we can possibly find about that email address online, which a fraud or a risk manager would be doing manually anyways. But in fact, we're just reducing that time for them because we're doing it in a split second and we're collecting like 30 times the amount of information that they would actually be able to collect in that given time frame. So... And if you think about that, the next step of it is because there's all these use cases, like you said, maybe 10 years ago, it was all only about chargebacks. But today, there's so many points of authentication and so many types of online businesses. You know, you could be at the point of login, you could be looking at account takeovers. At the point of registration, you could be looking at fake identities. And at the point of deposit, withdrawal, or transaction, you could be monitoring for chargebacks or transactional fraud. So I think if you're an online business today, you just have to look at a wide range of authentication points and actually assess your risk at each of those points. And then you have a good set of tools ranging from ID verification methods, ranging from like digital footprint analysis, which we provide. And you just have to adapt a hybrid model where you where you have all these tools on hand and and you're able to implement them quite easily luckily because if you look at our go-to-market motion we've been talking about this for the past i don't know 20 30 minutes now how easy it is to implement and the good thing is that now you actually have solutions on the market where you understand what happens when you integrate that solution and why the decision that they have made is what it's based upon. So I think, yeah, I, I think that's the main takeaway is there's multiple types of fraud, a wide range of fraud. But the good thing is there's a bunch of solutions out there to help you at the same time. And I think just adding as well, the way I think a lot of our customers look at it is they are different use cases, 100%. Um, but really what it's about, if you zoom out, it's essentially, can you see that interaction at any point in the customer lifecycle? of uh, interacting with that brand. So when did they sign up for the service? When did they log in? When did they do something of high value, whether it's like a deposit, it's like changing like a new payee if you're a financial service, uh, it might be a withdrawal, for instance. And um, on our end, these are just all API calls. And generally speaking, the more you can see any of these bits and you can kind of piece them all together in one view, then that's going to help you make a more informed, better kind of decision over that point. So I think the the kind of thing kind of a lot of our customers benefit from is our tech isn't available just at payments, like the kind of, you know, kind of classic use case of chargebacks. It's at the various early point, like when does Bradley sign up for that service? 
Um, and at that point, our stuff is kicking in and giving you insight into good or bad at that point. Um, and then I just wanted to highlight another thing that our customers um, give us really good feedback on. Um, we don't have a professional service team. Uh, so if you're like a tier one bank and you need for us to ship out like a team to kind of help you stand up your on-prem deployment, we just don't have it. There's other brilliant providers for that. And that's not really who we help. But who we do help is when you're in discussion with our team about using our, our APIs, then we'll open up a joint Slack group with uh, their team, their architects. And our guys are ex, I think Tamash did mention this, our customer success are ex-fraud fighters, right? We only hire ex-fraud managers. That's good and bad. It's cool because our customers love it because they're an extension. They are literally the psychology and understanding the tactics of kind of uh, fraud. And the, the downside is it's pretty hard for us to scale because <laughs> we're, we're so picky about who we add to the team. Um, but I think our things like our customers love it. So that's what we optimize for. But like those guys are like jumping in on Slack even before you become a customer. And they're already helping prospects with, gosh, have you thought about it like this? And because it's, you know, it's 2022, people are used to like Insta feedback, right? They're not patient anymore. They can't raise tickets. They, they want something on IM. And that's, I think, what Salem represents as well is this instant gratification for results fast. I think that's a great point in that I was just reading on LinkedIn today, uh, Sean Colpitz, who has been on some of our webinars, he was saying... I have to admit my ignorance here. I didn't even know this, that a lot of times fraud positions are listed as customer success, but not in the way you're talking about, that they're actually just taking anyone and like kind of throwing them into these, these positions. And it's, it's not really being treated as its own discipline. That really surprised me. I had never, I mean, I'd never applied to be a fraud manager, so I wouldn't have known this. But I, I, I think that relationship between customer success and fraud is a really interesting one. It really kind of put a light bulb off in my head about where we might be going in the future with how this entire ecosystem is is being thought of, both on the provider side and on the merchant side. And I think that's a really interesting point that you would have a customer success team that actually does exclusively have fraud experience. I, I'm curious if these are people that are either happy or sad, I don't know, to, to move to the other side. Right, is that a promotion or is it a, is it a demotion when you get put on the customer success team? <laughs> Um, I don't know. What do you think, uh, Tamash? What do you think? Ben? <laughs> are, they, are, are our team happy or sad? <laughs> Congratulations. You're being promoted to dealing with the customers. Yay. <laughs> to close it out here, guys, uh, I want to ask you one more uh, very serious question, which Jimmy's already laughing because he knows when I say that it's going to be something completely off the wall. Last time you were here, Jimmy... It took about, what, eight months to close a $94 million funding round. You're welcome. And so now I want to know what's next for next year. The next time I have you on here, are you guys going to have bought out the whole industry? Uh, what? Or maybe you'll be on an island in Cabo and, and I'll be talking to, to, the, to the new Jimmy. What's your plans for the coming year and, and beyond? Yeah, I mean, of course, we will... Uh, double down on what we have done in the past couple of years. So continue to be more aligned with the PLG motions and strategy, you know, to even improve ROI faster to a wider 
range of potential customers with newer products. We are really heads down in building modes, you know, focused on 100% operational modes. So that's our vision. We would like to kick off those projects and hopefully in 12 months time, we can already announce those new product lines being live and serving our clients need. Really, really looking forward to even unlock, you know, more uh, bigger milestones in terms of headcount growth. So for us, scaling up in the U.S. is uh, super crucial. So planning to scale up massively over there, uh, tripling the headcount in the next 12 months is, is a vision. So we have a base in Austin over there. And definitely, I think it's a good hub for attracting talent. And definitely, uh, still, like we have on the roadmap to open up more to Latin America. So we already just hired uh, recently three new teammates uh, in Mexico City. So it's going to be interesting to see how we can have uh, fintech and other startups where there are more and more. Yeah, I mean, you know, f- uh, physical expansion, just one thing, but definitely product expansion is our top one priority. So looking forward to potentially yeah, uh, update you on the great news again next year. And, and, and really, I hope that we will take a step closer to, just as I mentioned before, create a fault-free world, democratize fault fighting for all the hardworking fault fighters out there. Awesome. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure, certainly, to, to speak with you again. You're most definitely always welcome on the podcast. Jimmy, it's always great to see you. It's been a while since we caught up, so I'm really glad we were able to catch up. And before we let you go, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? And then we'll uh, we'll sign off. Yeah, so um, domain is sayon.io. We've, we've worked really hard to try and make our tech available to all. So there's a try for free call to action. You can literally board yourself in 30 seconds or less. And you can be in our platform at getting value of telling good from bad uh, straight away. There's also a no Chrome, uh, sorry, a no code way to deploy us. Uh, we're on Chrome store uh, as well. So Many of our customers, and give a shout out to the Patreon team, they started off with uh, using our uh, Chrome extension and since have automated the heck by using our APIs. But yeah, like, you know, we're removing all the classic front fighter objections of, man, we have to get dev resource. Well, no, you don't. You can use our Chrome extension. So that's available in like 10 seconds to you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. Good luck with everything in the future. And we look forward to hearing about more success next year. Thanks, Bradley. Thanks for having us. Bradley, awesome. Yeah.